0: To learn, you've got to teach. So friends, don't look at discipline as something negative. Please don't do that. Discipline is teaching someone. It's just another form of teaching. And as far as termination of somebody, management messes it up, I'm sorry, when they rush through it. The key to exiting somebody and lessening the chance for litigation Is a very thorough investigation. Very thorough.
1: Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. As much as we celebrate companies with great cultures, clever employer branding, and high levels of employee engagement, none of those things can happen without competent execution of the tactical side of people management. And while legal compliance may not be as exciting to company leadership, or they may even resent it it is foundational to creating successful people practices. So as we're just a couple days away from the new year and we continue our HR New Year's resolution series, it seems appropriate that we should discuss how not to get sued in 2023. And with who better to discuss that than a plaintiff's attorney representing employees. Chris Antone has over 40 years practicing employment law on behalf of management, but now represents individuals in employment law matters at Kilgore & Kilgore, a Dallas-based law firm. Chris is certified in labor and employment law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization and has been conducted into the HR Southwest Conference's Speaker Hall of Fame. I've known Chris for easily 20 years, and I'm glad for that friendship. And not only because it conflicts him from representing plaintiffs against me now that he's switched sides. Welcome to good morning HR Chris. Good morning, Mike. It's great to be here. And it is the end of the
0: year, and I want to wish everybody a very healthy and happy 2023. Also, for our leaders that are on the on the podcast listening in, now's usually the time where they have their training budget approved for 2023. And that's a very important factor. That'll be a common theme uh, in the podcast.
1: That's the, the the first step and in, in staying out of trouble is knowing what you're supposed to do, right? Correct. So you've, you've had a long career representing employ employment, uh, employers management and, and employment related matters. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of boneheaded things that Uh, employers and managers do that get them in hot water. And I'm sure that on more than a few occasions, you've seen claims made by individuals that, to put it kindly, were without merit. Uh, Are most cases that black and white, just with or without merit, or do you find that both parties usually have some responsibility in the train, jumping the tracks and and dragging everybody into the courtroom?
0: Yes, uh, unfortunately for management, It's not clear cut most of the time. There's gray areas. But the good news I have for our listeners is that much of the gray can become black and white if they follow certain practices, procedures, and policies. And I'm talking basically common sense, what we learned in kindergarten, what we learned in the sandbox. I have a very good friend and she told me once she was talking about a marriage and we weren't gossiping, but she said, you know, there's three stories in any matter. I said, really, what are those? Well, there's his story and then there's her story. And then there's the real story. Right. So to answer your question, it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, But what I found Irregardless of this terrible COVID we went through, the separation, even before that, one common thought that kept coming at me when I was with employers and their employees was that work for many people is a sanctuary. They're in control, they're successful, they know the rules. They're safe, and they escape without me being cynical. I have a beautiful family and a very beautiful family life, but they escape the craziness of the world outside the workplace. And as such, management at every level has an obligation to preserve a positive workplace. That's the key to management. And guess what, folks? You've heard this before, I'm sure. It doesn't cost much money at all to just do that and and preserve a very positive work relationship with your employees. That's the
1: key. And you mentioned training, and that's obviously a big part of it. Um, but let's go through the employee life cycle and see sure. where, where you see employers making mistakes. So uh hiring manager comes to hr and says we need to hire this position uh go find me some candidates and um and then we'll you know start interviewing and then we'll select somebody in that process where do you see employers uh make the biggest mistakes
0: well first of all i do get upset with clients who always talk about wrongful firing wrongful firing there's no such thing mike the only thing we do as a management team is wrongful hiring. <laughs> well, think about it. You hire somebody, and you got a position to fill, my operations sales are just on your case. I have customers we're losing. So the natural reaction is to rush it. Right. Well, I have this question for our listeners. What takes more time, not hiring the wrong person for the job or firing the wrong person? What takes more time out of the HR and the leaders day?
1: Of course, firing takes forever. And it's outrageously expensive because you spend all this time trying to onboard them, trying to make them successful, and and then you just throw you know flush all of that and uh, and you start all over.
0: Yes, and it's very disruptive to what I call the great silent majority. Ninety-eight percent of the employees are filling their job function satisfactorily. I had this experience with. I managed our law office for many many years. And there were two attorneys, applicants that I hired. One showed up with his sunglasses on, and we were inside. And the second was late. (laughs) And guess what happened? I had to separate the relationship.
1: And you had every indication on the front end, right? Yeah.
0: My legal first impression, and I'm not saying first impressions on an unlawful basis. But there was something about them that gave me pause, but I went ahead and, and fired them. I hired them, and then I spent a lot of time exiting them and a lot of emotion and wasted time. So I, I, when I got out of college, I was fortunate to have a, a, a fellow student, her, and her uncle was a big shot at UPS, United Parcel Service. And I said, I'm going to get married next month. I need a job before I go to law school. And lo and behold, she was able to get me a job at UPS driving a 20-foot truck in Brooklyn, New York, of all places where I'm from. And I picked up my first truck at 830 and came back to the terminal for my second truck at 1130. I'm not making that up. But anyway, during the interview process, they handed us (laughs) these paper applications and there was an older guy, he had to be about 30. We both went into the parking lot. I filled mine out and I looked to the right where he was. And guess who is filling out his application for him with the nicest handwriting in the world? His spouse. Well, back then, if you remember, Micah, you can remember this. Yeah. When you delivered a UPS package, you had a piece of paper and you had to legibly, legibly, write what you did and here was ups they had no idea whether this guy could write or not and they might have hired him i don't know i never saw him again but here was a basic job requirement that because they were in a darn hurry or they didn't have the someone to have the custodian responsibility of handling that application they might have missed something in that that will always I always use that example. Hiring is so important and the protocol is so important.
1: Yeah, I'm a big believer in hire hard, fire easy. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> Don't drag, you know, make it hard to get in. And and once you realize this this isn't going to work out, don't drag it out. We don't need 90 days of performance reviews and first and second and third warnings if we know they don't have the competency or the behaviors and that they're not going to get there as soon as you know that. It's time to move them on. But you can save yourselves a ton of headaches just by doing a better job on the front end, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, in the old days, we used to call it a probationary period or trial period. Hey, welcome to the family. We really like you here. And now you're going to be put on trial. Well, we don't use trial anymore. But it is a new employee period or an orientation period. Get to know you period. And we tell them that we're here to evaluate you. If you want to use
1: that term? See if this is a fit. We hope it is, yeah, but don't tell them. Don't tell them you've got ninety days either. I, I've heard no, so many. Not. I've heard so many employees say, "Oh, well, I've got 90, they can't do anything to me because I'm still in my ninety days." And I'm like, "That's eh, not how that works." But don't make Correct. that promise or that set that expectation, right?
0: Correct. And the key to that, as I think most leaders on the call do, you got to really be with that employee closely. Not every day necessarily. I'd like it every day. We understand that the scope of authority now is just really unworkable for a lot of supervisors. You know, in the old days, when I studied personnel administration, if you know what that is, the ideal span of control was one supervisor to 10 people. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Anyway, we're not there. We understand that. So, uh, yes, there's nobody. The thing about saying somebody... Oh, you have 90 days. They're great for 90 days. And in the 92nd day, something happens. It's miraculous. I don't know what happened. <laughs> but after hiring somebody, you know, probably the first next major event would be evaluating them, you know, the evaluation. And I know that a lot has developed positively in that process. And I think like you, Mike, I like it rather to have, we're having a conversation. We're having a meeting on where you were, where you are, where we'd like you to be, and and you might be doing fine. We like what you're doing. Continue. Keep it up. Or, and lastly, not or, and where do you want to be? Here's where we would like you to be. Where would you like to be? And lastly, how do we get there together? Not a promise, but we'll try. That's what an evaluation should be. From the management perspective, the problem with performance evaluations for a defense counsel, a management lawyer, and the gold mine for a plaintiff's lawyer like myself are performance evaluations, especially, and I think it's going to happen with the recession coming, not getting political we're going to see a lot of reductions in forces. It's just going to happen. And unfortunately, when you haste makes waste, when you rush that riff, unfortunately, you look at the person in that window and his or her performance, and I don't know why, but sometimes, not all the time, older employees are riffed. It might be because their salaries are higher, or their hourly rate is higher, and we're trying to save money. And what happens when a lawyer like me, through discovery, gets the employee's file, electronically or otherwise? What do I have? Exceeds, 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 I mean, during the good year, meets, exceeds, exceeds. And then, why was the older person let go? Because of poor performance. Right. That settlement, that's that we don't go to trial on those cases. The good employers don't try those. We had a bad day. We made a rough decision. So where am I going with this? These performance evaluations, if you do them, must be honest. And when I managed, excuse me, when I evaluated our attorneys and staff, most people got a C and they didn't leave me. They did not leave me. Most got a C, and that was what? Competent. And I wouldn't say to them, you're competent. I would say to them, you're fully successful, which was true. They met their job description. Well, when you meet your job description, you're not excellent. I'm sorry. You are successful. So there's ways of conveying that without making somebody feel bad, because everybody wants an A. I want an A. I don't want a C. Right. So I'm not saying you're a C employee. I'm saying yeah. that you are fully successful. Let's see what we can do in the future together.
1: Right. And and depending on where the employee, and, they're, and I think that's the thing that a lot of employers have struggled with, and I think that's what we're hearing around quiet quitting and all of that, is a lot of employees are perfectly content doing their job and moving on at the end of the day. They don't want to be the superstar. They don't want to be, they don't want to progress into management. They don't want to do all that. And I think if a, a leader understands that, hey, this guy is gonna bring his lunch pail to work every day. He's gonna get, you know, work, he's gonna do what we ask him to do. Uh, he's never gonna be one of our hotshots, but that's a strong, competent employee who's gonna show up and we can rely on. You know, that's, that's sometimes what we can ask for and what we're gonna get. And I sure wouldn't wanna disincentivize and ruin that relationship with that kind of employee by pushing them to do things they don't want to do or not valuing or showing, you know, we value the contribution and, and, and setting higher and higher stakes for them, you know, with this idea that people have to continue to stretch. And continue. Some people don't want to do that. Some people, That's their right. job is the way they take care of their family. They take care, you know, pays for their hobbies or whatever. Uh, but, and we need to realize that I think as, as managers, uh, when we're when we're doing performance evaluations and helping set expectations, but back on setting expectations. So we got this new employee on board before we ever get to that performance assessment in the onboarding and orientation period. That's where we, I guess we really need to set expectations. How do you, how does that conversation look? uh, So, you know, what would you tell an employer they really need to do in that onboarding orientation period, that first 7, 10, 14 days that a new employee's uh, on the team. Clearly, to set clear
0: expectations. Don't assume someone with a college degree can read through the lines. Take your time. Here are the expectations. Here's what we do to make sure you meet them up to our standards. And then you have to revisit the employee very, very soon. Mentor the employee, if I can use that word. Correct any issues that have to be corrected from a performance perspective. You know, and then that's the key. I'm not really a labor lawyer. I'm not really an employment lawyer. I get involved with a lack of communications. The lawsuits in employment usually, usually result from a lack of communication. I, most of our listeners are not intentional, ageist, sexist, racist. They're really not. Hey, it's Tuesday morning. It's Ladies Day. I can't wait to get to work so I could discriminate against all the women that work for me. I don't think many people think that way. I may be wrong, but I don't think I am after 40 plus years. But if you don't communicate right, that's when people's expectations don't meet. And when expectations don't meet from both sides, there's conflict. And sometimes that results in a legal charge. You can't spend enough time with them. The two things that are destroying management in America, I don't know about other companies, there's two things, email and the open door policy. So when a really good-hearted manager, good-hearted first-line supervisor says, I have an open door, and she does, she really does, but she's getting her monthly budget out, her back is towards her door in her office and she's busy away on her laptop, what does the good employee do when that employee comes to her door with a legitimate problem? What will that good employee do when he sees his hardworking underwater manager? Any guesses? Does yeah, he enter gonna, the room? I'll catch
1: you later, right? Yeah, I'll have to. Well, he did not even say to, yeah. that. Right, he just yeah. turns around.
0: And he was short on his paycheck. His spouse or her spouse says, did you get? paid a right check, that second check comes and he's still short and trouble starts. So here's what we're gonna do in 2023. We are going to leave our office. We are going to leave our office on specific times. We're gonna go away from the computer and we're going to walk where the employees are. We are actually going to be with the employees. And you don't have to say anything. You just got to be there. They need, they're not babies. I'm not trying to demean the employees, but they need that. So somebody made millions, I guess now Mike, 40 years ago, wrote a book called, ready for this, Management by Walking Around. That was the title of the book. And lo and behold, if you walk around, you get to see stuff. But that's the key. Uh, all this and the technology, email and open door policy, we have to institute not an open door policy, but an open floor policy. They gotta be on the floor, whatever that is, whether it's a customer service area with 300 people in it, whether it's a shop floor or whether it's a law office. I was taught that by my managing partner. He said, Chris, you've got to do at least one walk around the office a day and just say, hello, how's it going? Is there anything I can do for you?
1: Yeah, that makes perfect sense, yeah. And that's a key is to be there. Accessibility, right, yeah. Yeah, visibility. And I
0: think that that will help our listeners manage better.
1: Well, so, so many companies are remote now So the manager may may never lay eyes on, you know, in person uh, on on an employee or, you know, other than Zoom or something. How would you suggest a a manager in a remote environment maintain that kind of accessibility?
0: It's a great question. Oh, about 15 years ago, I came up with a one-sheeter, a one-pager, I should say, a one-pager for each. Be careful how you say one-sheeter. Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) A one-pager, really one-page, and it was five points. It was the same agenda every single week. Challenges last week, successes last week, upcoming challenges this week, i.e. overtime, and number four was the entire purpose of the meeting. Here's what it said. Here's what the supervisor said. Can I help you? That was a required, required statement to make once a week. And it were group meetings. They were small group meetings or group meetings, team meetings. And the last point, number five, was follow-up from last week. Someone had a question. Well, I represented the fourth largest cable TV company in the country. Well, where are their supervisors when they have the technicians and the installers? You know, out of town their supervisors are in a van visiting everybody individually but what they did was they did this on the phone they picked up their cell phone they said you are to stop i have your here's your manifest you're doing 15 homes this day but at noon between noon and 12:30 you're breaking for lunch i didn't schedule i scheduled so you could have your lunch and i'm going to give you a call And he and she went through those five points. This is once a week, at least. So you can do it remotely and you do it by phone or by Zoom. But it's a great point.
1: And of that communication, especially either when performance is is great and they're really on on track or where they're kind of off track and there's areas we need to improve them. um, You hear so much about verbal warnings versus written warnings. And my argument is... Verbal warnings might as well never have happened if you get in, if, if, you know, if, if we get down the road and something bad's happened, uh, in the environment, whether, whether it's somebody's injured or, you know, there's a loss or, uh, employees are upset about how they're being treated. Uh, how much, how do you know when, okay, I need to reduce this thing to writing?
0: Yeah, it's so funny. Verbal, I've had clients that have had verbal warnings. I have clients that had oral warnings. I had clients that had a written verbal and an oral written. (laughs) And I had one client that had an oral verbal. That didn't work out too well. So I'd like to look at it this way we need to use our common sense as leaders. We know what cuts it, we know what's expected. And if somebody's not cutting it, what I suggest is possibly retraining. Not retraining for six months or even three months, but I would take a retraining step. And we're talking about performance now. Because most of the most of the separations are due to performance. They're not really due, thank goodness, to misconduct. And then if training doesn't work, I would coach them up. That's another step. These are not disciplinary steps. Training's not disciplinary, coaching. And if that doesn't work, yes, you must issue a written, electronic, whatever it is, counseling. And let them know that this is the first step to formal corrective action. Corrective action. We will work together, but you must accomplish the following in your job. It's the same job that you interviewed for, without saying it saying it in a snarky way. We're right. not No, we're not. We're not being bullies. We're saying this is what you said you would do. This is what you can do. This is what you must do. And I don't want to have give you a second counseling. Right. So it is the old progressive. You know, I would do counsel, Excuse me. I would do training if necessary, coaching then I would do a first counseling, then I would issue a second counseling, and then a final counseling. Why do I say first rather than oral? Because everybody knows what first is. Everyone, it's the, is first. the first. Step,
1: yeah.
0: And then everyone knows the second, this is the second. And then, unfortunately, you may want to give a final warning. And everybody knows it's final. Now again, my management friends, don't give me a gift. When I get that <laughs> file and I see, oh, okay, here's the handbook policy, here's the discipline policy, they followed it. First warning, second warning, final warning. Then it says second final.
1: Mm-hmm. We're
0: and drag then it he out. wrote in, in pen, third final. And then they fired the guy. And what am I going to ask in the deposition, Mike? Why didn't you give him a fourth final? Now, that's sarcastic. But you see, you cannot allow, if you're an HR leader, you cannot allow your first line supervisors to water down that policy. It just goes away and you're spoiling, if I may use the term without being sarcastic, you're spoiling your employees like you would spoil a child.
1: And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. Most often people think of Imperative as that really amazing background check company. And that's certainly fair. But there are other ways we help our clients with people issues. For instance, as you wrap up your financials for 2022, we can help you verify the accuracy of all your taxpayer IDs for both employees and non-employees before you prepare and submit your W-2s and 1099s. Also, clients sometimes ask for our help in locating former employees to whom the company still has a retirement or 401k fiduciary responsibility. Often those people leave the company, move away, and can't be found when needed we can usually find them. So whatever the situation, we can often help our clients in unexpected ways. You just need to reach out to us. And we're here to help at imperativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for three quarters of a recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on research credits. Then select episode 76 and enter the keyword and tone that's a n t o n e and now back to my conversation with Chris Antone. well and, and the real danger really on the other side of that too is this manager gave this employee who happens to be a white male under 40 two extra chances at the at the Apple and but the black female over 40 only got only we strictly followed policy on her and so now it, it does on its face look like there's there's some bias and in in who gets, you know, second and third chances. And so you've got another layer of defense you've got to come up with.
0: Yes. And I can tell you that plaintiffs, lawyers like myself, judges and juries especially expect you to follow the written policy. They really don't give you a, there's, there's really no wiggle room there. So that's where management judgment comes in. And, you know, discipline, the other word for discipline is it's an area of of learning. It's an area of learning. Michael's discipline is in background checks, is in there's a system. That's his discipline. Well, discipline to learn, you've got to teach. So friends, don't look at discipline as something negative. Please don't do that. Discipline is teaching someone. It's just another form of teaching. And as far as termination of somebody, management messes it up. I'm sorry, when they rush through it. The key to exiting somebody and lessening the chance for litigation is a very thorough investigation. Very thorough. I'm not, don't bring anyone else in. The newest HR manager, or the newest, I was going to say newest manager, or service, probably not. The newest HR manager can really conduct a very good investigation. But a key part of that is getting as many facts as you can and then meeting with the employee. Some people don't do that, they don't meet with the employee, believe it or not. Guy's on a final warning, and the next thing he gets termination, like, what? Now, when I say meet, here's what has to be asked. Here's your prior disciplinary. We're not banging you over the head with it. But based on our policy, because of information we received, this is key, it looks like we may have to separate ways today or this, at this stage of the game, not today. But now here's the key. I wanna share with you everything we have, everything. Here's the report, here's the customer complaint, and we wanna talk to you about it, but more or less, we wanna listen first. We're here to listen. Let's discuss it. That's the key, and unfortunately, because of the press of time, that's not, now that's a practice that I believe will greatly reduce litigation. And that's kind of a step that we, we miss sometimes.
1: Yeah. When I'm, when I'm dealing with an employer or coaching an employer about, you know, I always say there's, there are certain, you know, instances where you've got a lack of competency or skill that needs to be built up. Or just underperformance. Maybe they've got the skills and the competencies, but they're not performing at the level they once did or that we need them to that, you know, their, their quality is not at the height it is, or their production isn't where we need it to be and they're you know, they're impacting their team. But those are situations where most of the time it's not belligerence on the part of the employee. It's not, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not an intentional behavior on the part of the employee. And you have those you know, early, as quick as you identify the issue, you have the conversation, right? And say, here's, um, here's what the expectations are. You remember we had this conversation. Here's where you are now. And it's really important that you get back to where we need you to be. And one of the things I always say is, what, what do you need from me in order to be able to do that job? My job as the leader is to empower you and make sure you've got what you need to do the job. If it's retraining, if it's, you know, you know, whatever it is, and I'm never going to go say, what accommodation do you need? But if somebody says, you know, um, you know, this glaucoma is really bothering me and it's, it's, you know, and it's ongoing, maybe there is something I can do. Or maybe there's some technology I can, you know, and save an employee that I've already spent all this time and money on on recruiting and training. But then there's the, the disruptive behavior, just somebody violating our company policies and and how we conduct our and, and ourselves and how we relate to others um you know just you know behavior that disrupts the organization um and i think a lot of managers still try to shoehorn those behaviors especially when they're more severe still into this two or three step progressive discipline policy where there's, you know, and you can correct me. You're the one who's seen, you know, a lot more cases than I have. But I think those are the ones where the company can easily put itself at risk by not acting more quickly when when it's intentional uh, uh, bad behavior uh, and it's not related just to the ability to do the job. Yes.
0: And I believe it or not, and that that's misconduct. This progressive, I don't even like that term because... A you know, progressive discipline like oh we're progressing to your exit let's put it this way when it's misconduct you should not give anybody a first warning <laughs> you should not give anybody even a second warning or even a certain misconduct you know that if that person continues here we're going to lose good employees right we're going to lose that great silent majority they're going to go. They're going to vote with their feet. So, certain misconduct, well, theft, that type of thing, violent, you know, you're not going to put up with that. I had a situation once in Augusta, Georgia, a very large company. The maintenance man threatened to take his knife and he was going to vandalize the gas on the welding hoses where the other employees welded. He threatened to do that. He was fired, just on the threat. Of course. I'm not worried about psychology, I'm not worried about anything. He was fired, of course, because I don't want to sound dramatic, but I would rather, if I was a employer, defend a wrongful discharge rather than a wrongful death action. Right. And when it comes to workplace violence or threats, listeners, you're adults. Don't start thinking and putting your filters on your ears and your eyes of what somebody really saw. That is not going to be a good conclusion. So I totally agree. There are certain types of misconduct I'd say most types of misconduct, whether it's theft, whether it's threats of violence, whether it's harassment, whether it's telling you know telling inappropriate things with that's really serious, serious discipline. Now, one client I have, which was a major paper company, and I think other companies do this, they will give the employee. A paid suspension, give him the policy, give him the entire handbook that we still have, and say you're being paid. When you come back to work, it's not a three-day suspension, it's a one day. We're gonna meet and you're gonna tell me what you're going to do if you want to keep your job.
1: Mm.
0: Now, not for all misconduct, just for some. For example, attendance. You never hear this one? He's my best employee when he shows up. (laughs) Well, by definition, he's not your best employee. I'd rather have all those folks in the middle that come to work regularly on time and do the job. They're your best employees. So there are different techniques you can use to get the point across. But when it comes to serious misconduct, it's best to separate as long as you have what that very thorough pre-discharge pre-termination for cause investigation that will really help and on most of these lawsuits the folks still have to go to the eeoc first before they get into court and if you've shown the eeoc something called due process Here's a policy. We followed it. Here's a thorough interview with the employee before we made the decision. The EEOC really, really appreciates that.
1: Speaking of the EEOC, I think for the last several years, their biggest uh, area for claims is retaliation. Yes. And every employee thinks everything is asking them to do their job is retaliation. Uh, So what is illegal retaliation? Just, uh, yeah, and we definitely want to train our managers, don't do this. Well,
0: the United States Supreme Court scared us because, and this is the most what I thought was really, really outer limits as far as an act by management that's negative towards the employee. Yeah, you have to, there's got to be an act or a decision that is has a negative impact on the employee, that's retaliation. But they even said where employees were not included in former group meetings. They like excluded employees from the meetings. There was no cut in pay. There was no transfer to the midnight shift, but an exclusion from meetings. And I think that, and I'm not saying that's right, but the definition is getting a lot, lot broader. And the only thing I say to our listeners, if someone did this because they're angry, this being a decision, don't do it. If you look at John or Chris Antone, because Chris Antone did something that, you know, I made it, I complained. I, I came to HR, I said, my boss is a complete jerk, he's a bully. And then it gets back to the boss, because HR does his or her investigation in a nice way, and the boss finds out that I complained, and then the boss does something negative to me, which cannot be proven to be job-related, or to be justified, or to be work-related. Do you really have to do that to him? Because as we know... It's a cliche, but we all know timing is everything in life. Good, bad, or indifferent, and if the if that happens and the timing doesn't jive, if it if it looks like really you did that, why? Well, blah 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 blah. That's the legal term, or pretext. They're making it up, and. That's when these cases settle for pretty big money. Just so you know legally, I could allege because I was mistaken that my supervisor is ageist and HR does a full investigation, and no, he wasn't ageist. You're you know, and then I get retaliated against. That is a separate violation of law, just the retaliation. So even if there was no prior proven discrimination, that's not necessary for there to be a successful case against the company.
1: But the the underlying action that the retaliation is, I mean, like you mentioned, the boss being a jerk. Well, that's not illegal. And me complaining to HR that the boss is a jerk doesn't give me that same level of protection as to say, the boss won't keep his hands off my rear uh and uh, that's, you know, that's correct right and so that is it's, abs- and, thank you for that clarification so, could, so the boss can it's horrible employee relations and it's bad management but the boss can retaliate against me without a ton of fear of legal stuff if i just if he retaliates because i say he's a jerk or his pants are ugly but um his wife is ugly uh but uh as soon as it's Age, race, sex, national origin, religion—any of those protected categories—that's where they're when they're exercising their rights under the law. Oh, of some absolutely, sort, that's where retaliation really hangs. Because I hear employees all the time saying, "Well, I was retaliated against." They start telling you the the facts, and they're like, "Well, it's not. A, I just did a, a big investigation for an employer a couple of months ago, and it was about retaliation. You know, I'm getting retaliated against, and and the boss is is treating me as a jerk." Turned out, the boss treated everybody as a jerk. Correct, and and there were no claims that were ever made about age, race, sex, national origin, religion, any of the protected classes. It was strictly the the fact that this employee didn't feel like they should have to put up with it, and that's probably true. uh, And they complained, but uh, you know the the behavior didn't change, and the boss is a jerk to everybody. So it's yeah, he was an
0: equal opportunity jerk. Yeah,
1: that's it. Now I will say something that
0: most non-union employers that's about 94% of America is non-union in the private sector public sector it goes up so for public sector employers and private I will say that there's a law that non-union employers never really had to worry about and this is a federal law it covers private sector only And it's called the National Labor Relations Act, federal law, enacted in 1935. The only reason I'm raising this is because here's what the law says. There's no union in miles of the company. It's a union-free company. And two employees, two, come to HR and complain about their Working conditions.
1: That's collective collective activity, right? Or
0: That is protected because it's two or more. Because the law says, the word union doesn't appear in the federal law. It says that employees have the right to engage in protected, concerted activities. So we go to a rock concert or a country music concert. That's more than one person. So concerted means more than one. And that is where the great majority of charges are filed with the National Labor Relations Board. And unlike the EEOC, the National Labor Relations Board investigates these charges in about 30 days max and will make a determination. In 30 days, and the National Labor Relations Board has its own attorneys, and I'll use the term prosecute. This is not a criminal law, but his their own attorneys will take the case and represent the employee for free. So I point that out. I'm I'm really sound like I'm a little dramatic on that, but that's a new area. Because to your point, Mike, there there was no no sexual harassment. There was no racial discrimination. There was no age discrimination. There was no gender preference discrimination. But if they complain about overtime, there's too much overtime, or any other type of working condition, which is a very broad term. I'm not trying to scare our listeners or drive them crazy. I don't want to be one of those lawyers that... You know, call your lawyer. No, don't do that. But they do need to know about that. And that was a great point. One employee. Now that employee is there as the spokesperson for the delegation. And he or she says that I'm speaking for the group. They want me to say this. That's protected activity as well. Just something to consider.
1: We're really almost we I, you've given me I've taken a lot more of your time than than I told you I would. But If there was one key principle or takeaway that you think an employer in 2023 that wants to avoid litigation should keep front and center in their mind as they're dealing with their employees, what do you think that one big piece of uh, advice would be?
0: To be with your employee, to be physically present. I'm not saying constantly. I do understand that on a production line there, a manager or a supervisor may have two production lines with 20 people on that, but that will help. And again, is the key. It could be done online, it could be personal communication one-to-one, but nobody can prevent anybody from being sued. Nobody can do that, nobody can guarantee that. But the, the art and the science of avoiding legal costs or expensive litigation is getting it dismissed quickly, quickly. So be there and be consistent. And there's many examples. I mean, no one really liked Vince Lombardi. They really didn't when you speak to them. And I'm not saying listeners should be like Vince Lombardi, but he was really consistent, really Consistent. Whether you were black or white, it didn't matter. So try to be consistent.
1: Well, that is all the time we have. I I sure appreciate you uh, joining me, Chris. Even though you've joined the dark side, uh, I'm glad uh, you know that uh, you're you're still part of uh, the HR community and that you you still give back. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you very much, Mike. If anybody has any questions. They can call me. I think you may want to share yeah. my phone number if that's okay, or they can email yeah. me or yeah, text we'll have me.
1: we'll we'll include all of that in the show notes Great. on the website, and uh, it'll be it'll be all over Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. So there you go. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for Chris at GoodMorningHR.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. I hope you have a safe and happy New Year's Eve and a prosperous 2023. I'll be back next year and next week as we wrap up our HR New Year's resolution series with Patrick Richter to discuss the resolution, pay your employees correctly. Until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.